I think there are very antiquated stereotypes or stigmas that view that work the way that it was, you know, 50 years ago, like factory work. The modern manufacturing experience promises to be wildly different than that. You're listening to ZapChat, and I'm Richard Milnes. I'm a CEO and founder at Zaptic. Today I'm talking to Andy Kortkamp. He describes himself as an anti-racist, authentic, countable leader, and not a boss. He is the VP of Manufacturing at General Mills, and he is absolutely passionate about servant leadership. So he's going to be telling us a little bit about what that is. From this episode, we can hear just how important people are both to General Mills and to manufacturing in general. And I think there's... You know, there's some stereotypes in manufacturing that just aren't true. And you know, what we get from Andy is a really passionate and informed view of what manufacturing professionals, as he calls them, are really like in the 21st century. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, before we begin, you know, I would love to hear from you a little bit about your background. And for anyone who doesn't know, who are General Mills and what do they make? Sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Richard. Um, I'm a 27-year veteran of, of General Mills, uh, which is uh, one of the world's largest food companies. Uh, we, ser- we make food the world loves uh, is, is our purpose. And uh, we, we have many brands that would be recognizable around the world from Cheerios and Old El Paso uh, to Green Giant and Haagen-Dazs uh, and many, many more. So um, we are, it's a, we're a fabulous company. Uh, we've been in business for over 155 years, uh, going strong, and um, we're looking to the future. Where did you start off in uh, General Mills over a 27-year career, and uh, what were different roles that you went through? Yeah, so I started with General Mills, actually with the Pillsbury Company, which was later acquired by General Mills uh, back in 1995 at one of our uh, largest manufacturing facilities in southeastern Ohio, uh, making uh, Totino's-branded pizzas and pizza rolls. And uh, was a frontline team leader, learned an immense amount from, from the team in, uh, in that plant, and then worked in five different plants across the first uh, probably decade and a half of my career, from the Chicagoland area uh, to Los Angeles, plants in, in Minnesota, um, and, then, and then spent time in various corporate roles uh, in the supply chain, uh, leading our Canadian supply chain team, uh, living and working up in Toronto. I spent time leading manufacturing for our international segment, uh, which, was, which was a thrill uh, for me, both personally and professionally. <laughs> um, and then I spent, uh, I spent a few years focused on leading our continuous improvement efforts in manufacturing across North America, which was a very impactful role to me as I... Uh, you know, as I really began to see the power of process and engagement and how that can provide differential results when you put important tools into the hands of the people that are doing the work. So very impactful role. And then for the last, um, I don't know, 10 years or so, uh, I've been leading in various capacities in supply chain, largely focused on manufacturing, uh, but also about a year ago took on our engineering function as well. So it's been the, the 27 years, it's, it's weird to even say that out loud because it's gone by so fast and I've, uh, I've had so many great experiences. That's amazing. And um, I know something that you're really keen on is you, you want to be a leader and, and not a boss. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what the difference is and what does leadership mean to you? Yeah, and this, um, I'll give credit to a, a team member uh, who works third shift uh, at a plant in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, actually. The gentleman's name is Kenny <laughs> Clark. 
And Kenny Clark and I were having a conversation about leadership many years ago. And he said to me, there's a difference between a boss and a leader. A boss is someone that you have to follow. A leader is someone that you choose to follow. And whether those were Kenny's original words or whether he stole those from someone else, they resonated with me then and they resonate with me today. And so I have spent really my, my entire career with the idea that I, I want people to follow me, not because of the stripes on my sleeve or the initials next to my name, but because they believe in the, the picture that I paint for the future. And they are compelled to move in that direction because it's inspiring and something that they believe in. So that has served me well thus far in my career. Obviously, leadership requires lots of style flexibility, but I'd say at the core, uh, I work in service to those that I've been privileged and in, uh, entrusted to lead. I love it. And I know servant leadership is something that you're really passionate about. For those listening, could you explain you know, to you what is servant leadership? It doesn't have to be very complicated. Uh, the idea of, of servant leadership is truly the idea that leaders exist to bring out the very best in those in whom they've been trusted to lead. My role is not only to provide vision and direction and strategy, but it's also to ensure that the contributions of the people with whom I work and the organizations that I lead are, are brought to their fullest potential. I seek to do that by ensuring that I'm removing you know, any barriers or obstacles that prevent an individual or a team of people from achieving the very most that they can, sometimes achieving more than they even knew they could. And those are certainly some of the most satisfying experiences in my career is when people find themselves uh, exceeding their own expectations because we provide them the runway to do what they do. Absolutely. And how do you do that when, you know, as a leader in, in the manufacturing organization at General Mills, you've got you know, how many people are in your organization? Uh, we've got about 9,000 um, in, our, in our North American manufacturing network. And so as much as I would like to have personal individual relationships with every member of my organization, that's, that's not practical. Uh, and I haven't figured out how to do that just yet. But <laughs> for me, it starts with vulnerability. It starts with the absence of ego or any sort of self-serving personal agenda. It starts with a willingness to demonstrate to people that you don't have all the answers, regardless of where you sit in the organizational hierarchy. Nobody's got it all figured out. And anyone that suggests that they do, frankly, is just not being honest. And so I think that that approach, at least in my experience, it brings a level of humanity to leaders and it, and it demonstrates that, again, regardless of where you sit on the org chart, you're human, you're flawed, you, you don't have all the answers. And it's in that vein that I have tried to enlist the intellect and the capability of those in my organization to say, hey, I, I need your help. You know, because I don't have it all figured out and I don't have all the answers, I'm going to look to the organization. And I think across 9,000 people, the power there is immense. And I view my role to, to unleash everything that can be unleashed in that team of 9,000. What can happen when you do that in an organization like General Mills? I'd love to, you know, love to hear a little bit about, you know, for example, like the pandemic was a surprise to a lot of us. So, you know, how did the organization of General Mills adapt to that with that mindset? Over the course of my career, I'm not sure that there's been a more 
exhausting, nor has there been a more exhilarating window of time than over the last couple of years, starting with the pandemic. All of us were leading into and through uncharted waters. There was no there was no playbook about how you shepherd an organization through the countless unknowns that existed with with the pandemic. And, and let's face it, you're talking about people's personal well-being, their health and wellness. And so it's not a small subject. The decisions that we took around how we were going to operate were not taken lightly. At General Mills, I'm really proud of how we managed through it. And, and it provided me, the, the, the onset of the pandemic provided me with an opportunity actually to to run a bit of an experiment that I'd that I've always been <laughs> interested in trying, but never maybe had the courage to try it. But the pandemic provided me an opportunity to do that. And the experiment was this: let's hand the ball to our people. Let's let's recognize that we can try to dictate and mandate how everything's gonna work over the course of of you know the many months that would follow. We knew we were going to have to create new protocols and new policies around COVID cases and absenteeism and, you know, were people going to get paid or were they not going to get paid? We, we were going to need to provide some boundaries, but the experiment that we ran was to say, listen, we're going to build those policies, those, those protocols based not on the worst of our people, but we're going to build them instead based on the very best in our people, which is to say, we're not going to build policies that are aimed to try to, to catch the abuser. We're not going to build such rigor into our attendance programs and those sorts of things that, you know, we stifle the care that we feel for our people. And so we said from the beginning, literally on March 13th, 2020, I remember it well, <laughs> I was on a I was leading a, a virtual call with our entire manufacturing network, and I declared we will we will lead through this period of uncertainty with trust, and we will hand the ball to our production teams, and we will trust that they want to win. They, of course, want to stay well. They care about General Mills and our customers and our consumers, and they're going to do the right thing. And our role is to give them the space to do that and to always operate with their well-being in mind to ensure that they and their families were well taken care of. But also we had a business to try to continue to run. And fast forward the clock, they hit it out of the park. Not surprisingly, by the way, they showed up in ways that, again, didn't surprise me, but inspired me. It's probably not overly dramatic to say that over the last couple of years, General Mills manufacturing teams have put the company on their back and have helped deliver some of the outstanding performance that's been uh, reported publicly. Super proud. Absolutely. And that comes across at sort of every level in the organization that certainly I've ever spoken to as well is that kind of shared commitment and passion and, and pride. Like how do you how do you instill that? Like what why are people so passionate about working at General Mills? I think it starts with the purpose of our company, which is, you know, we make we make food the world loves. And when you work in the manufacturing space, you put the make in, we make food the world loves, right? So it's not difficult for our team members, regardless of their role, to, to feel connected to the purpose of the company. So I think it starts with that, which, you know, that's very kind of high level. When you get right down to the brass tacks, though, I think it has everything to do with culture. 
I think it has everything to do with leadership and, and the culture that leaders establish at a, at a, not just at a company level or in a region, but at a plant location, on a production system, and even down to the individual level. Building culture, a culture that, that is focused on belonging, culture that's focused on believing in the capability of people. I've been known to say to my team, we will believe that the capability of our team members is infinite until we're proven otherwise. And I think that's, you know, that's a little bit of a twist on an idea that, that suggests that, well, people need to prove that they have capability before we trust them with tools or decisions. I come at it the other way, which is to say, we're going to believe that their capability is infinite until they give us reason to believe otherwise. And we've got a role, obviously, in shepherding their capability along the way and providing them with opportunities to grow intellectually, to grow, you know, in terms of how they think about their role. And so, you know, I certainly don't contend that we've got it all figured out or that if you walk into a General Mills location, there'll be unicorns and fairy dust. We've got our share of problems as well, but that's at least the spirit of what we're trying to create at General Mills. You assume that people's capability is infinite. I love that. So for a business that's so dependent on people, you know, how are you finding your know, labor instability post-COVID? It's obviously a problem across the industry. Is that something that you're suffering with in your organization? You know, it, it is uh, to some degree. You know, we always have an eye on the external market to kind of understand how we're faring relative to our competition. We hold up pretty well in that regard. That said, we're not satisfied uh, with, with the predictability or reliability of our, of our staffing efforts today. Um, I will tell you that you know we've we have probably more people in our organization with less than two years of service right now than we've ever had at any time in my career, which creates both opportunities in terms of having fresh sets of eyes and you know innovative you know thinking, but it also obviously that experience is a very tough thing to replace. So we've not completely cracked the code, but we have we have launched a number of experiments. Again, that's been an important word for us in the last few years, a number of experiments with things like gig workers, things like flexible work schedules, even for the production floor, right? So, you know, this whole remote work thing works out great for people that report to an office every day. But obviously when you're making the food the world loves, you're showing up at a plant and and that's where the work happens. And so we've had to think differently about how we provide our production teams with, you know, it, it's never going to be the exact same model for an office environment versus a production environment, but that doesn't preclude us from, from identifying ways to, to enhance flexibility for people so that they aren't completely tethered to their work in a way that's, you know, completely outside of their control. You mentioned then about gig workers as well, which is something I've not heard before. Can you talk a little bit about that experiment? Yeah, I will. So, um, you know, for, for those listening, gig worker is essentially kind of the, the uberization of the workforce, right? Where you have a pool of people who are interested in work, um, but want to do it on their own time, on their own terms, you know, work when they want to work, um, not work when they don't. And so there, you know, there have been a number of companies that have popped up to help facilitate the matching of the need in a manufacturing environment with the, the individuals who seek something like that. Maybe they want to work four hours on a Saturday. Maybe they just want to work night shift for three weeks to make ends meet. Everybody has individual circumstances that, that dictate kind of what their ideal work schedule would be. 
And so we ran a small experiment at one of our locations just to understand how that might work at General Mills. And by no means are we under an illusion that our you know, our workforce of 9,000 is, is um, going to become fully gig, gigified. Um, but <laughs> we, we, we do think that there are specific tasks and jobs in our plants that if, if we're unable to, to fill those with General Mills full-time team members, that we have some flexibility uh, to go to this gig pool and meet some of our needs. And in that case, the organization wins, the individual wins, our, our existing team members win because that results in less undesirable overtime uh, or forced overtime in those instances. So again, those kinds of experiments I think are going to be necessary to propel manufacturing kind of into a more modern place than it's been for the last, you know, many decades. It's great to hear the different ways that you're sort of innovating to, to get around the labor market issue. I'd love to hear a little bit about how, how do you find the right people and how do you determine whether someone's the right person for General Mills? That's very important because we, we go to great lengths to ensure that fit is there. And I say that while also reinforcing the idea that all are welcome at General Mills. We have taken a very public stance on our belief in equality and the value of diversity and inclusion. In fact, one of our company values is that we champion belonging. And so you start with a very wide net to say all are welcome here. Obviously, we do a number of assessments to, to ensure that the job is realistically previewed for people so that we aren't wasting their time in the event, you know, this kind of work isn't for them. A, a mentor of mine once said that when you hire a pair of hands, you get a head, you get a brain and a heart for free, which I love that. <laughs> and at General Mills, you know, we're not just looking to hire a pair of hands, we seek to, to win the hearts and minds of our people because we know that only when you win the hearts and minds of your team will they choose to give their discretionary effort to our cause. And so that's a pretty, that's a pretty tall order, and it certainly makes our challenge of finding the right people a little bit tougher than uh, perhaps others who might be perfectly willing to just hire a pair of hands. So... Um, one experiment that I'll share that we ran uh, also during the pandemic is around how we market our jobs. So we did a, an experiment with a company actually um, using social media for our hiring at a specific location where we talked, you know, we described the role and how much the pay was and what the benefits were, et cetera, et cetera. And we ran an experiment that identified how the presentation of those, that role was received by potential candidates and which elements of the job, the work schedule, the benefits, the pay, which of those got the most kind of clicks? What, what, what was the most compelling part of the General Mills employment proposition? And through that experiment, we actually found, and this is different in different regions of the country, but we actually found that candidates in southwestern Missouri, for example, were more interested in and I'm making this up just for the, for the point, they were more interested in the value of the benefits at General Mills than they might be the base pay rates or the work schedule. And by learning that information and immediately changing the layout of our, of our job marketing uh, that we were doing by placing more prominence on the benefits package, we saw an immediate uptick in the number of candidates that we had for jobs. And so 
using those kind of real-time um, data points to ensure that we're meeting candidates where they are has been something that we learned through this last couple of years that's going to benefit us. It's a very good digital marketing approach and it echoes you know, what's happening in the software industry as well. And I think with the labor market as it is, people have options. Like people have choices, you know, it's more, it's about more than just getting a job. It's about how do we get somewhere where, you know, I can feel a belonging as well. How do you think the market's going to change over the next few years? And, you know, what are the things that we should be looking out for as a society? I think the changes that are on the horizon are very exciting changes. I think, you know, yes, they're going to create stress in, you know, the manufacturing space and in industry, but I think they're, they're the right changes. And they're, they're things like employee choice. You mentioned um, people have an increasing number of choices about how they choose to spend their professional time. And it's incumbent upon employers to, to ensure that a person's work experience, you know, experience in their workplace is compelling, that it is, that it is not just a mechanism to provide a way of life, but it is also you know, engaging in terms of the type of work that's happening, how connected that work is to a bigger purpose. I mean, as demographic shifts um, and generational changes occur, it's obvious that there's an increased focus on sustainability and how the work that we do impacts the planet. And we're going to have to ensure that our game is strong um, and that it's truthful in matching that desire of prospective employees with real progress that General Mills, in my case, is is bringing to bear in the name of, of, of planetary health and um, global impact. I'm super proud of the work that we're doing in that space. There's more work to be done. And I think that can be a differentiator, a competitive differentiator, not, not just in terms of our business results, but in terms of the quality and caliber of people that we that we bring into the organization. So I think, you know, I could go on and on the the, the digital generation, the, the emergence of new technologies and automation and robotics is, I mean, what an exciting time uh, to be in manufacturing. And I would contend that, you know, while there are probably those who view automation and robotics as a threat to the manufacturing space from a people standpoint, I just don't see it that way. I, I actually see it not as a replacement for human work. I see it as higher level skills and more, you know, intellectually engaging work that's done by people, but done through automation and technology. So I couldn't be more excited about, about, about that element of the future. Yeah, as as automation to put into the into a factory, it's just making the jobs different, you know, they're not taking them away. Uh, one thing we spoke about before, which um, you know, I'd love to hear more about, is the idea of a connected supply chain and how do we, you know, break down the silos in a supply chain to create, you know, a more end-to-end view. I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, is that happening and and where do you see that going? It is happening. Um, although I think there's there still is a lot more work to do. You know, I would say kind of point one is within an entity's own kind of supply chain. So the General Mills supply chain, which is, you know, the procurement of raw materials, the conversion of those raw materials into finished goods, and then the movement of those goods downstream to our customers and consumers. It's first important that those elements are very connected. So when we say end to end, it applies not only to, you know, upstream suppliers and downstream distributors, but even within an organization, 
um, having a connected supply chain is super important. And we've made great progress at General Mills in recent years to do just that. The real value, though, comes when you begin to connect multiple supply chains together. And this has been very apparent to me during this window of global supply disruption, the amount of waste that exists in the handoff points between various supply chains. And so when I say handoff points, I'm talking about, you know, from from the farm all the way to the fork. There are a number of different players in that. There's supplier, you know, there's farmers, there's there's processors, there's there's suppliers, there's gen, you know, companies like General Mills that convert, and then there's downstream distribution. Each of those requires a handoff point that generates some degree of waste and inefficiency. Um, we strive to extend our supply chain much further upstream and much further downstream so that there is shared consciousness in the entirety of the supply chain about where are goods where are they going? When will they get there? All the way to the retailer and beyond. So tons of potential there for the supply chain to evolve even further. Yeah, last question for me. If you had a, a magic wand and you could change something in the industry, what would you like to change? Well, I'm going to come back to you know, my, my belief uh, in the power of people. And I think, I think there is some almost kind of rebranding required around what a career in manufacturing could look like for production worker, as an example, where I think there are very antiquated stereotypes or stigmas that, that, that view that work the way that it was, you know, 50 years ago, like factory work, you know, industrial, heavy duty, dirty, hot, uncomfortable, you know, punching a time clock, putting in your time, you know, and certainly I'm sure that those those sorts of situations still do exist, but the modern manufacturing experience promises to be wildly different than that, wildly different, such that we professionalize this work. Manufacturing professionals make food the world loves, and we've got an opportunity to do that in the environment that exists in a plant. So I'm talking about literally, what does it feel like to walk into a facility? Does it feel like a dark factory or does it feel like uh, a place where manufacturing professionals come together to make food the world loves. So we, we owe our people that. Learning and development, we haven't even scratched the surface on bringing technology to bear in a way that elevates and also accelerates the pace of learning that our team members can do to, again, contribute more and more and find more satisfaction in their job. So if I could wave a wand, it would be to get to that future a lot faster. Um, <laughs> So that not only would our operations be more productive, but they would be modernized and contemporized and the people in them would be would be viewed as, you know, the essential part of our world that they are. Wow, Andy, what a fantastic point to end on. Uh, thanks so much for you know, coming on today. And it's been fascinating to talk to you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Richard. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to Zapchat. Thanks for listening and please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.